this week on the Backtable Podcast. At Grand Rounds, at the, in the early days, and we still use this terminology, but for the first three or four years, we talked about you, you're either a medical insider or you're not. And medical insiders are doctors, nurses, people in pharma, pharmaceutical industry, people that actually kind of understand there's differences between good doctors, bad doctors, how to get to good doctors, all of that. And if you're not, you, you get... The, you 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 don't get the good care, and so I always would start my talks off with, "Guess what, America? There's two t- levels of care in, in, in here in this country, and it's not rich versus poor. It's not black versus white. It's a medical insider versus those that are not. And so that's really what we try to do with Grand Rounds, helping patients get the right care they need." Hey guys, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things endovascular and interventional. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. This is Brian Hartley as your host this week. I'm an interventional radiologist living in Silicon Valley and also co-founder of an early stage medical device company. This is our next installment in the Backtable Innovation Series, where you will hear stories from physician entrepreneurs who helped shape the endovascular field through medical devices. Before we dive into our topic today, just want to say a quick word from our sponsor, RadPad. RadPad radiation protection products developed by physicians for physicians and clinically proven to protect during CINE and digital subtraction angiography. Don't bet your health on anything less. Trust RadPad protection for all your interventions. See RadPad.com for more information and contact info at RadPad.com to learn more about radiation safety CME credits for you and your team. I'm honored to introduce a mentor of mine, Dr. Rusty Hoffman. Rusty is a practicing interventional radiologist and professor at Stanford School of Medicine. He's chief of interventional radiology as well as the medical director of the cath lab at Stanford. He's also the medical director of digital health at Stanford. Additionally, he's co-founder of Grand Rounds and sits on the board. He's published over 100 scientific articles on minimally invasive treatment of cancer and DVTs. He holds two patents, has worked as a consultant for numerous medical device companies, and he's currently the global PI for uh, first clinical trial testing of a venous stent. He's active in many research projects in the intersection of artificial intelligence and clinical care, including COVID-19. He was also nominated as a phenomenal father on the Today Show, which we will get into a little bit later. So stealing a phrase from John Oliver, there's a lot to unpack here, so let's dive right in. Rusty, it's great to have you on the show. It's great to be here, Brian. All right. So getting in here, tell us, tell us briefly your path to, to IR and, and what brought you to where you are kind of here in, is re, with regards to your training and, and where you practiced. Sure, sure. So thanks again for having me on the show. So I, I grew up the son of a pediatrician in a steel town in Ohio. I, I watched how hard my dad worked in the middle of the night going in to do take care of patients and then obviously working all day and decided I didn't want to be a doctor. Instead, I wanted to be an engineer that invented the next CT scans and MRIs of the future. (laughs) I uh, went to the University of Illinois in electrical engineering and biomedical engineering. And uh, after about two and a half years of that, realized, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be an engineer. I think I would go back to maybe that doctor thing. So went in, went to medical school at uh, Ohio State and got a great education and then was, did my residency at Johns Hopkins in radiology. I was really drawn to the technology of radiology, thought about mm-hmm. cardiology, thought about the ICU, and then felt like IR was the 
thing I was the weakest in. So I should probably get good training in that if I was going to go out in private practice and do procedures on patients. Got accepted into the Stanford program at the height of the stent graft mania and helped, you know, do thoracic and aortic endografting at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, went went to that finished that went to Hopkins and was there for five years doing a, a variety of different things. First in man studies, uh, a lot of animal research, device development, and then came to Stanford in two thousand and six, where it's, where I've been, you know, taking care of patients, working with my awesome faculty and fellows and trainees, working in medical device as well as uh, digital health realms. That's great. That's great. And. You mentioned you started getting into medical devices. You said you were at Hopkins at that time. So how'd you get started? You know, a lot of docs are interested in devices, but it's, 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 it, there's never a clear path to get involved. So I'm always interested to hear people's stories there. Yeah. So I actually started getting involved in medical devices as a second year resident at Hopkins. So, and one of the things I find with doctors and other doctors are used to being like, oh, you got to go do this. And then that that's, that's when you're a doctor, you got to go, you got to go see these patients. And at at the end, when there's no more patients, that's the end of the day and you go home. They're very, a lot of doctors have the hard time of like starting things. So when people come to me about like, how did you get into entrepreneurship device development? I'm like, you just need to just start doing, just start doing Mm -hmm. like and so as a second year resident i was in a case in in interventional radiology at hopkins and we were trying to size a wall stent to put in the common a bile duct and it was a big production the fellow that was working with me didn't know and we're trying to measure on the screen but there was magnification error and stuff so i invented this i I came up with this idea for something called the accusizer it was something that was you could put on the patient and it could be used uh to calibrate a true a two centimeter distant distance and then you could use that to size stents so i actually wrote I wrote the patent for that. I had a patent wow. attorney, a patent. So I just spent all this time writing it. A patent attorney looked at it. I gave him 25% equity in, in it, which in retrospect, wow. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> so and, tell us what you mean by that. I guess, you know, for our listeners, what do you mean by, does that, that mean, does, is that crazy now? Never give away equity. Like that's, number, that's rule number one. And if it's an attorney okay. helping you on something, you should give them like 1% for their, for what they're contributing. But the patent got filed, it got issued, and I actually had a company that was interested in, that actually was going to buy it, and then software replaced it. <laughs> so, uh, of course, um, but it's always the machines. It's the machines. But I learned, I learned the whole process of how to like think about a patent and write a patent, and, and, and I've done others myself uh, since then. Uh, that's great. It definitely resonates when you mentioned that you have to just get started, just for our listeners. If they have an idea, if they have something, I think it's key to to kind of repeat that, that you mentioned you, you just wanted to get started. And so that's what you've done. Yeah. And I actually even go one more, like, just start doing, like, mm-hmm. just, just go do, 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 do. And you're going to figure out a thousand times more stuff by doing versus just sitting there trying to talk to people. No, just go do. So basically you don't have to be correct the first time you do it. In fact, the vast majority of the times, maybe you would say that you're not going to be right at the beginning, but by doing and starting, you're going to learn so much about the process and what does actually work. Absolutely. Absolutely. No one, okay. calls, you, no one calls you on the phone and says, Hey, today's the day you start a company. 
or hey, mm-hmm. today's the day you invent something, or today's the day you write your patent. Like mm-hmm. you, you, you just have to decide. All right, today I'm going to write my patent for that idea I've had in my head for the past week or two weeks or month or whatever that may be. And by writing it, you actually probably learn more about it as you as you begin the process. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. All right. And tell me maybe what are some other devices that you've, that you've kind of had a hand in over, over the years? Sure. So the, uh, the first, so that was the first device I patented and then Mm -hmm. I helped. So the intravascular MR wire was a wire that was developed at Hopkins in the late nineties. And we thought had coronary applications to look at the plaques and coronary arteries to, to, to predict who, what was unstable and what was, was stable. And so I did all the preclinical work for the FDA submission with that wire in the animal lab there at Hopkins. And then I, then I did the first in man studies. I did eight patients. And after eight patients, I said, huh, this is a tool in search of a problem <laughs> to solve. <laughs> and I terminated the study. And so okay. I realized quickly that, you know, I, I learned a lot. I learned a ton about how to do animal work and FDA work and, and first in man studies, but I'm like, nope, this is a failure. I'm done. But I'd spent two to three years of my life working on it. I then helped. I mean, it's a variety. Like I, I, at that time, Bacchus vascular was an arterial mm-hmm. device and they wanted to make a venous device. So I helped with the product design and development of that whole venous program for Bacchus mm-hmm. that then was acquired by Covidian, was approached in 2008, 2009 by Rod Raby to help start uh, Venus Seal. This was, we were at a meeting in Hawaii. He's like, I have this idea to glue veins. Do you think it's a good idea? I'm like, it sounds wow. like a great idea. Wow. So, so he started that and I was on the scientific advisory board and, 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 and participated in building, help build that company. Although Ron and, and his co-founder did 99% of that work. I was a very small part of that. Then similarly approached by the people at NDC to start working on a Venus stent with uh, Raju and Neglin. And that stent then became the, the Vici stent that has been acquired by Boston Scientific. Cook. I I then actually, you know, my real thing that I spent much of my clinical time working on is like, you know, complex, you know, Venus recanalizations, Mm -hmm. you know, the full metal jacket that we call it at Stanford. And had used this combination of a glide catheter, a guide catheter, and a glide wire to get through this. And I called it the tri, that through the occlusions called it the triaxial system and went to Cook and said, hey, I need you guys to build something that's way better, stronger, more tapered than this. And they they liked the idea, so I partnered with that. And what was it called again? It's called, it's called the Triforce. It's, okay. uh, it's, it's the only, you know, it's, it's, I don't actually know the exact label, but I, I, the labeling of it from the FDA, but it's what I use for all of all my chronic venous recanalizations. It also works great for biliary recanalizations, ureter recanalizations, and, and then the bane of IR, all IR doctors on the planet, GJ tubes. <laughs> it actually <laughs> helps you get out. It helps you get out the pylorus. Okay. So yeah. So did that and then Cook had me be their PI because of that work, helped design the clinical trial for um, for the Cook Silver Vena stent. And then in parallel to this, I, you know, started Grand Rounds, you know, a health tech company and have been, you know, watching that grow and been part of that that company. 
Yeah. Okay. That's a great segue. I'd love to hear about your journey to Grand Rounds. So can you tell the listeners what, what is Grand Rounds? Because I mean, it is, it is very different from medical device innovation. This is more health tech, digital health. So if you could tell us what is Grand Rounds, what's your value proposition, et cetera, uh, who are your clients? Sure. Yeah. So Grand Rounds is a, is a health technology company that we employ, I don't know, 700 or 800 people and are responsible for over 6 million lives. You know, everybody that works at, you know, Walmart, uh, Amazon, Comcast, you know, <laughs> the ice truck, the ice road truckers in Alaska, uh, basically, wow. basically what we, what, what I realized was through the personal journey with my son and also being an expert physician, these chronic venous recanalizations that I did and people would fly from all over the world for me to like rebuild their venous system was like people didn't understand how to get access to good care and then they also didn't understand the financial side so green rounds now is this big company we go to large self-insured employers and say your people need clinical and financial guidance for when they interact with the healthcare system and we can do that at scale for you and your people and it will lower costs significantly and so the the genesis of this genesis of this idea was basically how to do expert remote opinions for people that wanted a second opinion. So, you know, you know, Sally gets breast cancer in Topeka, Kansas, doesn't know what to do other than what her local oncologist says is appropriate. She comes to Grand Rounds, her employer pays for it, so it's for free. And then Grand Rounds gets all of their medical records, creates a summary, and then sends, sends it to Dr. Famous, you know, one of the top 10 or 20 people in the country that's on the cutting um, edge of breast cancer research and treatment. And that expert then writes up an opinion right back to, to, to the patient at the level of the patient to answer all of her questions and guide her on next steps. And what was interesting when we did all of this was, you know, we found out that there, we had a major change in diagnosis or treatment 66% of the time. It was wow. crazy. And, and we actually followed the claims through people that got treated versus not people that followed our recommendations. We could show that if you got an expert opinion on average, we saved the, the, the payer, which at the time is the employer who's paying for healthcare about $9,000. Like Walmart. Yeah. Like Walmart, like $9,000. So, so that was our first entree into this world of benefits and Comcast was our first big company, our first big uh, client followed by Costco. And then, and then we started doing all this stuff and they loved what we did. They're like, Hey, can you help us with this? And can you help us with that? So now mm -hmm. at some companies, like I, I believe, I believe it's Home Depot, but don't hold me to it is that like on the back of the insurance card is, you know, 1-800 grand rounds or whatever the phone number is wow. for, for grand rounds, or they call us for any clinical or financial need. Like how much is this MRI going to cost? What's the deposit? What's the uh, deductible? What does Lovastatin do, you know, or Lovastatin do all of that stuff. It's pretty cool. Wow. That, is, I mean, I, I'm not underestimating when I say you've made a huge impact and you were a practicing physician and you still are, but you were a practicing physician when you, when you came up with the idea for grand rounds. And I think, you know, what the listeners would like to hear is why did you come up with the idea for Grand Rounds? Where did this come from? What was the impetus for this? Yeah, I, it was 
it was really my lens as an expert physician and as a father and as a husband. As an expert physician, you know, people were FedEx and me boxes of their records and CDs for me to try and figure out whether they should fly from Ireland to Stanford or Australia to Stanford or Egypt to, to Stanford. And it took me, a, I had no workflow. I had no IT system to do all this. It was incredibly kludgy. And I knew like, number one, it was taking a lot of my time. Mm -hmm. It was probably not compliant with state licensure laws. And, and then also these are only the people that were smart enough to figure out that, you know, Dr. Rusty could do this. So there's a huge wealth of people that just, if they could figure out how to get to me, I could help. Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. was that piece. Then my son developed aplastic anemia and was unclear exactly, you know, he was eight years old at the time or nine years old at the time, whether or not he should get a bone marrow transplant or a medication to treat it. And they didn't know what to do at Stanford. And so I called like the guy that wrote the paper on the medication and he's like a 50% chance your son's going to survive him, you know, mm -hmm. and then want to vomit. And he said, mm -hmm. you should talk to the, to the people at the Hutch that related to their experience with, with donors. Because I actually, I was the match. I was the parental okay. donor for Grady. And the guy at the Hutch said, go, go with the bone marrow transplant, 5% chance he'll die. 20% chance he'll have some life altering complication. And so we went with it and he, um, you know, he's now a normal 17 year old kid that was surfing 10 foot waves yesterday and, you know, a straight A student. So, you know, wow. his, his story would be very different uh, if his dad didn't happen to be the, you know, professor in chief of interventional radiology that could reach these world experts in a matter of, you know, literally the same day, these people called me back. They're like, hey, professor from Stanford's calling. I think I should call him back. So that's the father part. And then the husband part, as we went through this whole journey, I mean, my son was critically ill for about two years. I watched the toll it took on my wife and her not understanding what was happening and how to anticipate things and really the patient education piece that we do so miserably in healthcare. And so by, by giving, by building the system at Grand Rounds to address my lens as a physician, a father and husband, we just built, you know, really a winning product that we're recognized across the industry for our second opinion product. But now you know, delivering all sorts of different healthcare services for, for patients. That's yeah, that's a fantastic story. And it really speaks to, uh, the need was there and it was an incredibly compelling reason and an incredibly compelling story. So that was what you were nominated. We mentioned before you were nominated as a phenomenal father on the today show. So congrats for that. I can truly say, yes, now that I am a, a young father, I see that that's, you will do anything for your kids. Yeah. Well, it was really cool because Grady nominated me. So he did, oh. he did it. And then, and then, then when I won it, it was kind of a hoot to have them come out and, you know, videotape the family and, and the like. Yeah. But it was really, it was truly a family effort. Like but the survival of my son and as was related to my, my wife and my two other boys that helped support Grady through the whole thing. Fantastic. And also, you know, it really just speaks that if, you know, if you hadn't had been who you were the chances of you finding that out, all the information that you needed to save his life, that would have been really hard. You would have had a different road. Oh, for sure. At, at, at Grand Rounds, at the, in the early days, and we still use this terminology, but for the first three or four years, we talked about you, you're either a medical insider or you're not. 
medical insiders or doctors, nurses, people in pharma, pharmaceutical industry, people that actually kind of understand there's differences between good doctors, bad doctors, how to get to good doctors, all of that. And if you're not, you, you get the, you, you, you don't get the good care. And so I always would start my talks off with guess what America, there's two t- levels of care and here in this country. And it's not rich versus poor. It's not black versus white. It's a medical insider versus those that are not. And so that's really what we try to do with Grand Rounds, helping patients get the right care they need. Very compelling. And that's a great story. I, I want to end it there. Uh, thank you so much, Rusty, for sharing your story and the motivations behind what you do. And hopefully maybe we can get you back on the show here to talk a little bit more in depth about your experience with Grand Rounds. But thank you so much. Sounds good. Thank you very much for having me, Brian.